Hello, friends. Welcome to the Functional Nurse Practitioner Podcast. I'm a board-certified family nurse practitioner who believes in utilizing functional medicine strategies in order to provide a more comprehensive approach for optimal health. The current model of care in healthcare is very lacking, which led me down the road of functional medicine. Functional medicine is a systems biology approach, which looks at uncovering the root causes for the symptoms we are having in order to allow for healing versus simply applying a band-aid to the situation. I believe we need an integrative approach of both conventional and functional medicine in order to provide the best care possible. I feel so strongly about this that I had to leave my conventional medicine practice. While conventional medicine thrives with acute care issues, there is much to be desired with regards to chronic conditions. No longer could I practice in an institution where volume of patients rather than optimization of health was its driving force. I started my own practice specializing in functional medicine where I work with my clients to uncover their unique story. Utilizing the functional medicine timeline and matrix, identifying the antecedents, triggers, and mediators driving the disease process assists with getting to the root causes of the symptoms in order to allow for healing. This personalized approach leads to improved health outcomes. If you want to work with me and live in Indiana, head on over to my website at www.thefunctionalnursepractitioner.com and click the link to book your free introductory call. Just a quick disclaimer that this podcast is meant for educational purposes only and is not meant to diagnose or be a substitute for medical advice from your practitioner. Also, if you like what you hear on this show, I would be real appreciative if you would leave a review on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you're listening from, and subscribe to the show. Okay, on to today's episode. Today, we are diving deep into a new series on exercise. I really think you guys are going to love this topic. Every day in my practice, I talk about the importance of movement. I think we can all agree we want to feel as good as possible. We want to have energy, avoid sickness. We want brain health, heart health, mental health. Today's episode was inspired by a question from Bonnie. Bonnie asked, what does exercise do to the heart, lungs, joints, and brain? She also brought up healthy exercise versus going overboard. Is there a way to ease into it? Thank you, Bonnie, for your question and topic suggestions. I've received great feedback regarding starting things off with an outline. I know that I find it easier to learn when I have an idea of what will be covered. Today's show is broken into five segments. Segment one, exercise and our well-being, an overview of the importance of exercise for our overall health. Segment two, the science behind exercise how exercise affects the body at a cellular level, the impact of exercise on metabolism, how exercise affects immune function, segment three, mental health and exercise, the link between exercise and stress reduction, reversing anxiety and depression through exercise, the impact of exercise 
on cognition. Segment 4, Managing Chronic Conditions Through Exercise, The Benefits of Exercise for Those with Metabolic Conditions, Exercise and Cardiovascular Disease, Improving Autoimmune Conditions with Exercise. Segment 5, Exercise and Longevity, The Relationship Between Regular Exercise and Increased Life Expectancy. How Exercise Can Slow the Aging Process, Adopting a Lifelong Exercise Habit for Lasting Health Benefits. Later in the series, we will get into timing of exercise. Is it better to work out in the morning or the evening? The impact on cortisol and other hormones with regards to exercise timing. Then we will get into types of exercise, cardio versus strength training, how different exercise modalities impact our health. I hope you are excited for this conversation. As always, I am well prepared. Whatever you are doing, whether you're driving, cleaning your house, maybe you're exercising, walking or at the gym, let's lean into the power of exercise. Movement Regular physical activity is vitally important for not only maintaining health, but also improving our health. Throughout our lives, at every stage of our lives, physical activity plays a key role in our development. Think about babies learning to hold up their heads, roll over, sit up, walk. All throughout life, we are continually training our bodies even if we're not engaging in regular physical activity. What happens to a body that is bedridden? Is it just about muscles? Does physical activity affect other parts of the body? The evidence is there. Strong evidence for the benefits of regular physical activity on our overall health and well-being, impacting all-cause mortality, dramatically affecting our cardiovascular health, metabolic health, brain health. Exercise impacts our physiology, our cells, our microbiome. Nearly every aspect of our body positively impacted by exercise. Physical inactivity, sedentary lifestyles, and obesity are among the leading causes of both disability and death. Did you know that roughly half of all adults in the United States have some form of cardiovascular disease? Half. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death worldwide. I, for one, want to know how to improve my odds. Segment two, the science behind exercise. How exactly does exercise affect our body at the cellular level? There are positive changes that our cells go through as a result of physical activity. Changes such as making sure proteins work well. We are constantly breaking things down and building things up. This is happening all day, every day, without us even realizing it. I was listening to Dr. Mark Hyman's podcast, and he made a joke saying, you eat chicken, but you don't turn into a chicken. The body breaks it down into the building blocks we need for our cells. Exercise helps with growing new cells. There are over 30 trillion cells in the human body. Our cells go through life cycles and are regenerated all throughout our lives. And exercise helps this process. Physical activity also helps to protect cells from damage and also with the cell 
cleanup process. I say this all the time because it is true. Our bodies are miraculous. We can influence cell death. Why would we want to do this? To grow stronger cells. Exercise impacts our metabolism, affecting how our mitochondria work, the energy powerhouses of our cells. Our mitochondria are impacted by exercise, changing and adapting, leading to better metabolic flexibility. This means our bodies can use different sources of fuel more efficiently. Our last series, all about fat, went into tapping into our fat stores for energy use. Episodes 38, 39, and 40. The more metabolically flexible we are, the more efficient we are. During exercise, there is a dramatic increase of mitochondrial biogenesis. Our cells go through a process called mitophagy. We get rid of damaged mitochondria to keep our cells healthy. Essentially, we recycle damaged parts of our mitochondria. Mitophagy plays an integral role in cellular homeostasis. Defective mitochondria have been associated with many chronic diseases, such as metabolic disorders and cancer. Now let's talk about exercise and our mental health. Exercise has consistently been shown to have a positive impact on those battling with depression and anxiety. Did you know that exercise can be as effective as prescription drugs like antidepressants without any negative side effects? So many experience with these medications. This is not to say that medications are not helpful, or that you should stop taking your medications. Always speak with your practitioner with any questions or concerns you have. Physical activity can reduce psychological distress and improve quality of life. I have had a long-standing history of anxiety. It used to make me super anxious to see that listed as one of my diagnoses. I hate labels. No one ever asked why I had anxiety. There are reasons why we have symptoms. Anxiety is a symptom. Why was I anxious? Well, how much time do you have? When working through my own timeline and matrix, there are many contributing factors. I experienced adverse childhood events. I always tried to dumb this down like everyone goes through stuff. I never allowed myself to face it. When I did face my past, it was hard. I was able to see the connection. The link between these major events, triggers in my life, and my symptoms. I always say, it isn't just one thing. It's everything. While I was going through hell, I can be dramatic if I want to. It's my podcast. <laughs> Sassy Tara today, friends. I also was consuming a diet rich in shit. No offense to my grandmother, who was an amazing cook. I usually opted for the highly processed garbage. Devil dogs, sweet tarts, endless bowls of Frosted Flakes. Remember Frosted Flakes? I used to add mini marshmallows to mine. So I had trauma, stress, minimal nutrients. How about genetics? I've talked about before on my show, my shit genes. Joking, but not joking. I have a particular snip 
of COMT, catechol-O-methyltransferase. I have the Val-Met AA genotype, AA, so homozygous, and associated with a three to four times reduced enzymatic activity. This variant is not only associated with breast and ovarian cancer, but also mental disorders like anxiety, depression, bipolar, schizophrenia, and cognitive decline, greater vulnerability to stress. Man, do I know this. I never put two and two together before. Now I see it. Stress will flatten me like nothing else. When this genotype also has the MTHFR variant, there is a greater probability of mental illness. I also have the HTR1A GG genotype, 5-hydroxytryptamine receptor 1A, which subsequently has a reduction of serotonergic neurotransmission. This reduction is implicated in the development of depressive disorders, suicidal behaviors, schizophrenia, and also eating disorders. This genotype has been shown to have a poorer response to antidepressants. Interestingly, when I was placed on antidepressants in the past, I also had gene site DNA testing to see which type of medication would work best. My results showed that I respond to almost none. At least there is testing for this. I was prescribed the one I would likely respond to, and it did help. Do you know what else helped? And ended up helping even more, assisting me with weaning off the medication, working on my methylation. Once I opened up the doorways, so to speak, and I looked at the why behind the issue, I may have a predisposition for mood disorders, but when I got my nutrients in check, when I addressed my sluggish COMT, when I stopped over-exercising, my life changed. Do you see how it isn't just one thing? What if I didn't look to the causes? Where would I be? The older I get, the less patience I have for shit care. We can't just isolate one variable, give a label, I'm sorry, a diagnosis, prescribe a drug or several and call it a day. What a disservice. Are we doing all we can by not addressing the causes? I am very interested in the relationship between exercise and cognitive performance. I experienced pretty debilitating brain fog for some time. The brain fog only increased my anxiety and depression. I had fear, real fear. My grandmother had dementia. It was very hard to see her that way, especially towards the end. Did you know that more than 50 million people globally are battling with dementia. And this number is expected to dramatically increase in the next 20 to 30 years. Why? Research has been very interested in the connection between exercise and dementia. In one study, they looked at how exercise in young adulthood could affect cognition later in life. Over one million Swedish males participated. The findings showed that those with poor aerobic fitness at age 18 had a much higher risk of developing early onset dementia or cognitive impairment later in life. Interestingly, 
Another study looked at older adults with beginning stages of Alzheimer's disease. Results strongly suggested that interventions to improve physical function may benefit cognitive outcomes and slow down disease-related decline. Improved memory activation, multitasking, cognitive function was seen with exercise. Another study looked at overweight older adults and put them into either a three-month traditional cycling or cybercycling, where there was an added virtual reality component. Both groups showed increased cognitive performance with cycling. The cybercycling group had an even greater increase in neuroplasticity. Hey, a reason to bust out your trainers and upgrade to virtual reality mode. As with most studies, there were flaws. There was no sedentary group. I do still feel there is much we can take away regarding exercise and our cognition. Several pathophysiological events occur with Alzheimer's disease, including mitochondrial dysfunction, oxidative stress, inflammation, apoptosis or cell death, and impaired glucose metabolism. Regular physical activity improves mitochondrial health, biogenesis, and respiration. It also enhances the capacity of antioxidants, reducing oxidative stress, decreasing inflammation, improving glucose metabolism, and also cognitive function. This may be N of 1, but I know how I feel cognitively after exercise. When I got stuck writing a research paper, or nowadays, scripting podcast episodes, taking a break to do some type of physical activity, even walking has helped me tremendously. Back in NP school, I would run every day, sometimes several times a day. While it did seem to help my brain, over-exercising ended up causing a myriad of other issues, issues with my cortisol, my immune system. We will get more into over-exercising later on in the series, so make sure you are subscribed to the show and click the notification bell so you never miss an episode. When I take the time to stand up from my desk, do a few stretches, take a five or 10 minute stroll outside, I feel so much better. My ability to think is improved and interestingly, so is my mood. Segment four, managing chronic conditions through exercise. Let's go a little more in depth about metabolic conditions and physical activity. When we exercise and eat well, our muscles can grow bigger and stronger. This process is called muscle hypertrophy. The skeletal muscle is the largest organ in our body. A large part of our body mass, about 40% or so, these muscles work with the liver to absorb and use glucose from the food we eat. They also help regulate body temperature. Skeletal muscles are like a huge storage bin for amino acids, which can then be utilized for energy production when the body needs it. These muscles are adaptable and can change their composition and performance through physical exercise. Conversely, if we are less active, just the aging process alone can cause muscles to shrink and weaken. 
This is known as muscle atrophy. When we have this shrunken, weakened state, we are at an increased risk for diabetes, obesity, and also a lower quality of life. If you are weaker, will you be able to navigate the stairs? How about bending down to pick up one of your grandkids? We know that mobility is crucial for our health. Exercise is an integral part of maintaining our overall well-being. When we exercise, our muscles adapt to better handle future challenges related to energy and movement. As an example, endurance training improves the quality of mitochondria, increases glucose uptake. We want glucose to get into the cell and out of the bloodstream. When we have too much sugar in our bloodstream, it is dangerous, toxic. Exercise assists with this process. Insulin is the gatekeeper, so to speak, with getting glucose into the cell. When we have too much glucose, our insulin levels go up and we develop insulin resistance. Diabetes in its milder phase shows increased levels of glucose in the blood. In later stages, we have impaired insulin. We have an influence over the advancement of diabetes from its mild form to insulin-dependent diabetes. This is so important to understand, and this is not something we talk about enough or ever in conventional healthcare. We are not destined to be diseased, my friends. We can change our trajectory. Exercise makes our bodies more sensitive to insulin. I love this. It hypes me up. I wore a continuous glucose monitor for several months, tracking my body's response to foods, stress, sleep, how my blood sugar was impacted. I saw that if I ate at a Mexican restaurant, no shade towards Mexican food, just another N of one. Starting my meal with highly processed and refined chips, eating a double portion of rice. I'm not the biggest fan of beans, so I usually get a double portion of rice instead. I would eat most days, almost all of the chicken or beef in the skillet, along with peppers and onions, lettuce, tomatoes. My blood sugar went up more than 60 to 70 points. This is not ideal at all. I tested this numerous times throughout the three to four months. I wore a CGM. I am gluten-free, mostly dairy-free, and do not eat out at restaurants on the regular. I did this for science. Okay, we were also traveling, and I needed more than the grapes and carrots I had in the car. I noticed my blood sugar stayed higher, longer, when I consumed highly processed foods. Rice, it didn't matter whether it was white or brown, had a large impact on my blood sugar spike. What I did notice was that if I took a walk afterwards, even for five to 10 minutes, my blood sugar came down much quicker. That one day traveling, my levels stayed high such a long time. It actually made me nervous, which then caused more anxiety. As I knew it would also impact cortisol, which would then raise it even more, I was just sitting in the car for hours after we ate, trying to calm myself down. While it may be unrealistic to practice movement following every meal, it is something to think about. Is it possible to take an evening stroll after dinner? Not only does movement help with digestion, but also improves 
our metabolic processes. Regular exercise is known to be essential for preventing and also managing chronic diseases such as obesity, diabetes, atherosclerosis, and cardiovascular conditions. Long-term exercise can actually make the heart grow stronger, which then improves its functioning. It has long been established that regular exercise can make a dramatic difference with regards to our cardiovascular system. If someone has high cholesterol, they are told diet and exercise. (laughs) Don't even get me started. Where is the regard for the individual's current exercise and diet? Nope, just diet and exercise. Really helpful. The thing is, exercise does dramatically help with improving cholesterol. Moderate physical activity raises HDL, the good cholesterol, and lowers LDL, or the loser cholesterol. We spoke all about LDL and HDL in episode 19, part two of the series on cholesterol. Go back and listen if you missed it or re-listen. Exercise can also lower blood pressure. Research shows that those that are physically active have a 36% reduced risk of death from cardiovascular diseases compared to those living a sedentary lifestyle. Makes you want to get up off the couch, doesn't it? Let's talk about autoimmune conditions. There are well over 100 known autoimmune conditions, and we're finding out new ones all the time. I want to talk about multiple sclerosis. It is estimated that one in 333 individuals will develop this condition. That's a lot of people. There are over 1 million people in the U.S. alone who are dealing with this autoimmune condition. Multiple sclerosis is a disease of the central nervous system. Like all autoimmune conditions and most chronic diseases, inflammation is a driving force. MS is unpredictable and affects individuals differently. Myelin, the fatty tissue that surrounds the nerve fibers serving as a protection, becomes a target by the immune system. MS progression involves damage to the protective myelin tissue, leading to scarring in the central nervous system and disrupted nerve activity. Myelin basic protein is often a target in the demyelination process of various autoimmune disorders like MS. I have antibodies against myelin basic protein. This is thought to be an early predictor for MS. Conventional medicine would have me wait until there are lesions, until I become so incapacitated that my quality of life suffers. It wasn't that long ago I could barely walk. I was told I was filled with autoimmunity and basically screwed. Those specialists were wrong. I may have a genetic predisposition and antibodies against different body tissues, but I am certainly not hopeless. Why am I making antibodies? Is there anything I can do? Glad you asked. In previous shows, we talked about gut health, nutrition, stress. Do you know what else greatly affects our expression and progression of autoimmune conditions? Exercise. Exercise has positive effects on the brain. 
regular exercise leads to changes in the brain's structure and volume. The brain is highly susceptible to energy deficits and oxidative stress, making exercise crucial. Oxidative stress is a core mechanism in neurodegenerative disease, and we have already established that oxidative stress can be significantly reduced through exercise. There is a growing body of evidence indicating the neuroprotective role of exercise. In those with MS, exercise can decrease neurodegeneration, neural apoptosis, and stimulate neuroplasticity. I mentioned this word earlier, neuroplasticity. It is defined as the ability of neural networks to change, the ability for growth and reorganization. This is a very good thing. I didn't need much convincing, but the research showing neuroplasticity stimulation is enough for me to get up off the couch and move my body. Physical activity leads to a pretty significant elevation of T regulatory cells. T reg cells are a specialized type of T cells that act to suppress immune response. This helps with maintaining self-tolerance and has been shown to play a critical role in preventing autoimmunity. Exercise also decreases immunoglobulin secretion. What are immunoglobulins? Antibodies. Exercise also promotes the release of IL-6, interleukin-6, as a myokine, which is a type of cytokine stemming from skeletal muscle. This release induces an anti-inflammatory response. Remember that cytokines are signaling molecules that help control inflammation. Pro-inflammatory versus anti-inflammatory. Let's round out today's episode talking about exercise and longevity. Is there a relationship between regular exercise and increased life expectancy? There is a well-established relationship between regular exercise and increased life expectancy. Numerous studies have shown that engaging in regular physical exercise promotes a longer and healthier life. As far as the number of years you gain by exercise, this is very hard to calculate. Research suggests somewhere between half a year to eight years of an increase. There are many contributing factors that link exercise with increased life expectancy. We talked earlier about chronic disease and exercise. Exercise can prevent disease in the first place, but also manage chronic conditions. Exercise strengthens the heart and improves circulation, leading to better cardiovascular health. We need a healthy heart for longevity, reducing stress, anxiety, and depression through exercise can lead to better mental well-being, leading to overall health and longevity. Preserving bone density and muscle mass is crucial for healthy aging and longevity. Regular exercise, especially 
weight-bearing exercises helps maintain bone density, reducing the risk of falls and fractures as we age. We will get into best exercises for different scenarios later in the series. Regular physical exercise can improve sleep quality, which is essential for our overall health. We just talked about the immune system and exercise. Enhancing our immune system makes us more resistant to disease and infections. Research suggests that to improve longevity, exercises promoting social bonding such as golf, tennis, basketball also tend to reduce stress, which is crucial for living your best life. With improvement to our mitochondria, resulting in a reduction in reactive oxygen species, defective mitochondrial function, and an accumulation of DNA mutations, we can slow the aging process. I am very interested in this. There is so much information out there about aging, biohacking for living younger, longer. If you are interested in a dedicated episode on this topic, let me know and I will give you a shout out. Cellular homeostasis aids with improved longevity and understanding how exercise influences our cells can provide the motivation to move your body every day. I know what it's like to not be motivated to exercise. I think I used every excuse there is. I don't have time. I don't have the money. I'm too tired. (laughs) What it really comes down to is, do you want optimal health? Do you want to feel better? Have more energy? What are you willing to do? I used to demonstrate simple exercises when I worked in women's health. I would use the counter to do tricep dips or the wall to do wall push-ups. It can be simple. Five minutes a day to start. For true change to happen, we have to have our why. I don't want to end up like my dad. I loved my father. I don't want to be on dialysis. He was not much older than me when he died. The specialist I saw told me there was nothing I could do but wait. Talk about a death sentence. No one talked to me about the immune system and exercise. Now, I know the truth. I study this shit regularly. I am working with so many wonderful, brave, oftentimes overlooked by conventional medicine individuals who need hope. Hope was ripped from their grasp, just like it was ripped from mine. I am so passionate about what I do because I am one of you. If you are suffering from a disease, from a chronic condition, if you don't know where to turn, what to do, the only thing you are offered is medication that doesn't really help. I feel you. My goal is to be fully optimized and I want to bring as many people as possible with me. Shift us to a healthier pathway. Again, I ask you, what? are you willing to do? I swore I would eat sweet tarts till the day I died and M&Ms and gummy bears. Life is short, right? I didn't see the connection. Once I saw it, it's like a light went on. What are all those chemicals 
endocrine disrupting toxins, red 40, blue number two, sugar, our friend glucose, in astronomical amounts. What are the glyphosate laced weathens you are consuming doing for your chronic symptoms? Are you willing to ditch them? I'm not suggesting you eat boring food. I love my meals. I look forward to them. They are delicious. I have adapted. What are you willing to do? Will you make a promise to yourself to get up five minutes earlier every day? Maybe do some squats, wall push-ups, walk outside for a few minutes. How important is this to you? I can't do it for you. I will tell you this. Habits take a minute to adopt, but once you do, it is something you will crave. I look forward to my self-care time. It is sacred. I love moving my body. Getting the kinks out, it does wonders for my mental health, and it just happens to do pretty amazing things for all aspects of my body and soul. Will you join me? Prioritize yourself. Set aside a block of time every day for you. Personalized care is very important. I firmly believe you should partner with your healthcare practitioner. If you want to work with me and live in Indiana, head on over to my website at www.thefunctionalnursepractitioner.com and click the link to schedule your free introductory call. Next week, we will get into the nitty gritty of timing. When should you do cardio? What if you only have time in the evenings to exercise? It will be a super show, my friends. I hope you enjoyed spending time with me today and I will see you very soon. Bye friends.